0: Welcome to the podcast series from the Forum at Harvard School of Public Health. You may also watch a video of this event at www.forumhsph.org.
1: Good afternoon and welcome. Uh, I'm Philip Hiltz, the director of the Knight Science Journalism program at MIT. And for today, I'll be the moderator of the Forum at the Harvard School of Public Health. Uh, The Forum is a set of regular live discussions with leaders in public health. And today, we have with us Helen Clark, who is the former prime minister of New Zealand and the administrator of the United Nations Development Program. Uh, While nations themselves have development agencies, the UNDP is the world's development agency. Um, It's run cooperatively by the countries through the UN uh, in 177 countries. Uh, The UNDP works on a broad range of issues, uh, including issues such as uh, eradicating extreme hunger, empowering women, building infrastructure. And a signature program over the years has been the Millennium Development Goals, under which uh, countries uh, work toward eight specific targets. Um, They started in 2000. uh, And uh, they're supposed to end in 2015. So the question right now is, how are we doing? (laughs) Well, not so
2: badly at at the global level on quite a lot of the goals. For example, the goal that was set For reducing extreme poverty was to cut the numbers of people living on under the $1.25 a day income poverty level by half Mm. over those years 1990 Mm. to 2015 and that's been achieved already but it's been achieved largely overwhelmingly because of the incredible poverty reduction in China over Ah, that period you know hundreds and hundreds of millions of people and the truth is, the figure hasn't moved much in, in some other regions, mm-hmm. sub-Saharan African countries, mm-hmm. uh, many still uh, struggling to get that sort of impact on poverty. So there's still work to do. And even though yes. these targets end in 2015, uh, we can't stop. And the big debate now is what's going to happen after 2015 and how we carry on uh, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. deal with the unfinished business. Mm-hmm.
1: What about some of the other eight? Besides the poverty, how else uh, are we doing?
2: So the, the second one was around uh, getting every child into school. Mm. And almost every child in the world is enrolled in school now. Around 67 million aren't, which is a significant number. Mm-hmm. is a proportion tiny, but every child should be in school. However, how long a child enrolled in school yeah. actually stays is another matter. The completion yeah. rates will not look right. very impressive. Yeah. So again, in unfinished business, it's got could go beyond getting a child's name on the school register to Mm -hmm. the child actually staying in school, completing primary, and being in a position to go on the the next stage. So, unfinished business there. Uh, Empowerment of women. Well, there was a target set of 30% uh, women's participation in the world's national legislatures. Uh, we're not there. We're probably around 19% uh, at the, the moment.
1: But that's an improvement.
2: It, it's definitely an improvement from yeah. uh, from where it was. And mm-hmm. some of the most conflict-affected countries uh, have actually done the best because as part of their rebuilding and national reconstruction after disaster, take Rwanda, they've prioritized the involvement right. of women. So Rwanda now has the highest proportion of women legislators yeah. in the world <laughs> from having had women not uh, at all represented in, in such bodies. The child and infant mortality rates have uh, reduced very significantly. We, we could say those goals are within reach, but they need a push. Uh, one which has been very disappointing is maternal health mortality and uh, universal access to reproductive health. Uh, and this sort of will lead me into the theme I'm going to talk about in the lecture later today, that, that these issues are, are not just a matter of uh, a, a health sector intervention. The fact that women's health has done so badly speaks to a lot of greater factors about women's marginalization, mm-hmm. gender inequality, mm-hmm. disempowerment, and, and right. so on. It, right. it, it, we need to tackle a rather basic range of issues mm-hmm. to bring down what what are very distressing maternal mortality rates in many countries. And, and you know, sometimes, I think, when we think of maternal health, we perhaps thinking of a, a woman in her mid, late 20s, uh, mm-hmm. 30s who's, who's dying in childbirth, and, uh, and of course many do. But so often the picture is of really quite a young girl, an adolescent girl, who's, mm-hmm. who's dying uh, a very miserable death in childbirth because she, she is too young. Right. Uh, things haven't gone right. Mm-hmm maybe a whole lot of things in her life that have just not been conducive Mm. to having a a safe uh, childbirth. HIV, AIDS, uh, malaria, TB, quite a lot of progress in turning the tide. And some of the countries which saw extremely high prevalence uh, in sub-Saharan Africa definitely have turned the tide and Mm -hmm. are investing a lot more of their own money in uh, to to, to fighting the disease. Uh, But the Global Fund money has undoubtedly been incredibly important uh, for that. And then you come to the environmental indicators, improved drinking water sources. Uh, yes, we'll probably meet that, but uh, that's not to say everybody's got clean or drinkable yeah. water. The sanitation goal has done very badly. Perhaps toilets aren't you know, the most exciting thing to talk <laughs> about, but True. very important yeah. for health. Yeah. And uh, that, uh, that, that's not so good. I, I was on a platform with the Minister of Rural Affairs in India mm-hmm. uh, last year. And uh, he has a line where he says, what's wrong with my country? Almost everybody has a cell phone, but most people don't have a toilet. <laughs> we have our priorities wrong. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we, we have our priorities wrong. We, we need to, to move on
1: there. So you've So you've probably spent a lot of time in the field. Tell us a story from the field that is uh, one of success. Where has something happened that was really uh, good to see?
2: Well, sometimes when we look at how countries are doing on these these indicators, we think, oh, they're a long way from reaching that. So I went to, almost three years ago to Burkina mm-hmm. Faso, mm-hmm. uh, which has had quite a troubled past in its birth as a country, from the colonial era. It was upper Volta, it had a lot of instability. Uh, it's had a stable government with a very long serving president for a long time, and th- they've started clawing away at these basic indicators. So you go and you see that 68% of uh, children are now in school. Now you could say, you know, glass half empty, but what about the other 32%? Or you could look at the rate of adult literacy, which is under a quarter, and say what an incredible lift up that is. Now there's still work to do, but undoubtedly there's progress. And on addressing extreme poverty, Burkina Faso has really taken up uh, something we got involved with, which was how to get basic motor engine power into a village. Villages generally have no electricity at all. So no electricity, no light, no capacity for children to study at night, no capacity for women to lighten their burden of domestic chores, you know, taking the husk off a of rice is ours, a painful grinding in, in a bowl. You bring an engine into a village, all of this changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we showed proof of concept uh, of this and the government has agreed they will take that right across the country. Every village will have these motor powered engines small generator, Mm -hmm. and you would be amazing the difference Mm -hmm. to life that makes. That's
1: Mm -hmm. amazing. So we started out in 2000. I remember thinking at the time as a reporter, the goals were ambitious. Um, uh, So what do we know now that we didn't know then? Because we're coming right up on 2015.
2: Well, coming to it a bit fresh as I I do, uh, I went to the Millennium Summit in 2000, where the Millennium Declaration was signed by all of us there as heads of government, as I was. And then Kofi Annan announced the MDGs and said, this is the path to achieving the vision of the Millennium Declaration. But I think uh, there probably was not enough attention for the first decade on what is it you actually need to do hmm. to change these, these figures. Mm-hmm. And when I came to UNDP, I said, look, uh, we really need to focus on the drivers of progress. And we produced a very good report for the 2010 Millennium Development Goals Summit mm-hmm. on what will it take. And we identified a range of factors. Now. Uh, One of them was leadership. If you don't have national leadership and ownership of these agendas, you'll never make any progress. Mm -hmm. This is not something a development agency or development partners can do. It has to really burn in the gut and the heart of leaders in countries at every level, government, civil society, whatever, that that this has to be done. This is a national cause. And where that's happened, you've seen real progress. Uh, Most certainly, you need inclusive growth, not just any old economic growth, because a lot of it doesn't do anything for poor people at all, Mm -hmm. completely marginalized by it. And a lot of the extractive industry uh, uh, growth uh, is is very much in that that category, unfortunately. So inclusive growth, definitely investment in health and, and education, energy as a huge enabler is mm-hmm. is critically important wasn't mentioned in the mdgs but i'm mm-hmm. certain it'll have a place in the next mm-hmm. uh, agenda spe- specifically and the other factor we identified was social protection because unless you have a basic social protection scheme in a country people can you know sort of come up the living standards ladder and then something disastrous will come along, which might be the global recession or it might be a terrible flood or it might be a drought or it might be an earthquake whatever, and you are knocked completely back with nothing.
1: So what exactly is social protection?
2: So social protection is what uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt did here with the New Deal deal in the 1930s. It's what... uh, Labor government New Zealand did in mm-hmm. 1938 with the Social Security Act. It's saying that we will set a line below mm-hmm. which no one will fall and when adversity mm-hmm. strikes, you will not be left on your own. It's mm-hmm. it's as basic as that. Now, you know, some people might say, well, isn't this just for rich countries? Mm-hmm. Well, of course, in the Depression, America wasn't rich. That's in the right. Depression, New Zealand wasn't rich. Sweden wasn't rich. Mm-hmm. Actually, most of the countries we today see as rich introduce these schemes when people were struggling. Mm -hmm. And so the message is basic social protection will help you consolidate development gains you've made. It'll keep progress going. It won't see you knocked completely flat. And what we saw uh, in countries which had developed social protection schemes after the great uh, financial crisis of the late 90s, Uh, We're in a much better position to deal with the financial crisis that uh, began in the markets of the north and started biting in 2008, Mm -hmm. 9, 10. Uh, They came through much better because they Mm. had basic social protection. So that that is critical. I mean, other factors, domestic resource mobilisation. It's very important that uh, countries not just be reliant on whatever the fashion in the West is for funding this or that from time to time. Uh, You know, leadership and ownership means growing the cake Mm -hmm. of your own Uh, Budget to allocate, and then we need—we need these global partnerships. Development assistance is still important. Uh, It's—it's—it's a small part of the overall development Mm -hmm. uh, equation, but—but it it is important.
1: There are so many areas of development, uh, from building roads, empowering women, but you've lately been focusing on health. Mm -hmm. Why health? Is that a, a bigger driver?
2: Well, uh, you just can't separate health from development uh, (laughs) in any country and uh, I come from a background of having been a Minister of Health and having set uh, uh, New Zealand health goals and targets uh, Mm -hmm. to lift, uh, lift health status. Uh, I was very influenced as a young health minister by the World Health Organization's Health for All by the year 2000. I became health minister in 1989, and I I thought, well, 2000 isn't far away. We'd better get get cracking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, But you see, Health for All uh, put health in its context. How can people have good health if they live in poverty without education and knowledge uh, in damp, inadequate or otherwise shoddy housing, if their country's at war, not in a state of peace, if their environment is toxic, how can you be healthy? So it always put health in that broader context, developmental context. And that's why I think it's so important that the health people and the development people speak together and work together, because if we work in silos, we'll never get the job done. We have to, to recognize that health uh, uh, is, is so often a, an outcome of, of the the circumstances in which we're living.
1: Mm-hmm. And so that's getting, <coughs> getting better.
2: Yeah, yeah. As, as people are lifted out of extreme poverty, yeah. uh, as they have more knowledge, and knowledge empowers, uh, as housing improves, uh, if we can deal with mm-hmm. uh, some of the environmental blights which have associated uh, mm-hmm. the old style of development, like mm-hmm. toxic air, uh, mm-hmm. filthy water, mm-hmm. etc., mm-hmm. then we will improve health, for sure.
1: So why don't we take some questions from the audience. Um, Do we have folks in the audience here? And then we'll take some online as well. Um, Questions from here. Take one from online first.
0: We do have a lot of people participating (laughs) online. So this is from Julia R. Carney. How do issues surrounding mental health in low resource settings Impact achievement of Millennium Development Goals, and does the UNDP have any plans to put investments towards this health area? Thank you for your time. These were mental health issues. Mm. Mental
1: health. Mm. Yes.
2: Well, we ourselves wouldn't be funded to to work on mental health, but I think the question arises a very important issue because mental health can be a very marginalised and le- neglected area. Mm. And, in poor countries fighting uh, a lot of uh, serious communicable uh, diseases. And so uh, as countries develop their comprehensive health strategies, it's very, very important to mm. be ensuring that mental health is part of that uh, equation. Uh, like disability, physical disability, it has been a neglected a neglected mm. area.
1: And also hard to measure. How do you, uh, how do you know when you're doing well?
2: Exactly. I mean, when I was involved with promulgating health goals and targets in New Zealand, we didn't actually put mental health in because we didn't have a measurable indicator to know what progress we were making. Mm. But of course, I did have mental health strategies and and a lot of action going on Mm. on that. But I couldn't couldn't, uh, so easily quantify the progress.
1: Mm. I have a question here.
0: What do you see as the greatest obstacle toward your goal for women in the world?
2: Well, it, it, it's uh, the equal status and rights of women that is what has to be achieved. And the reality is that in many places, women do not enjoy equal status, they don't enjoy equal rights, uh, and that has a very broad impact. For example, If you look at uh, agriculture in Africa, women are a very significant part of the workforce, uh, but are less productive. Not because they work less, they probably work harder, Uh, but because they uh, lack, often, access to credit at the same level, Uh, may not be able to open a bank account uh, without a husband's permission, and if a husband wants to keep a woman in her place, last thing he's going to do is have her mm-hmm. open a, a bank account. So if she can't access credit, she can't get the best seeds. she can't get the best fertilizers, she can't get the implements, she becomes less productive. And it comes back to a basic inequality in status. So what uh, we we emphasize with with gender empowerment is uh, tackling political participation and voice, because voice is very important for getting women's needs put up the top of the agenda. Women aren't in the system to express what these issues are. Chances are that others aren't going to be uh, very forthcoming on them. Uh, we stress economic empowerment and you know, uh, and equal rights and status, so that women uh, you know, really can uh, op- operate on an equal basis with men.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. you had a question? Yes. Right. I, think <laughs> I I. I very much appreciate the um, take on
2: the importance of metrics that we have to sort of measure, be able to measure uh, things in order to be able to uh, monitor pro- progress toward it. And I, it seems to me that UNDP made a you know, significant leap in gender empowerment by the U- development of the gender empowerment measure,
0: for example, okay. which influenced the generation of scholarship on this. Do um, you
2: have a, a sense of... Uh, uh, a preview of what might come in, uh, after 2015. Uh, there are there uh, movements to try to capture uh, equality in other dimensions besides gender? For example, you know, there are all kinds of uh, inequalities and, yeah. and social stratification in the world, and, yeah. and it seems me yeah. like that's been one missing dimension in the NDGs. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. so so often when poverty's talked about, people are talking about income poverty, right. but poverty is multi-dimensional. In 2010, uh, UNDP produced a sort of 20th anniversary global human development report. And it always produced a human development index with the global report, but this one had three innovations in the index. Alongside the, the standard human development report, it did an inequality adjusted human development report. It did a gender inequality Human Development Index, and it did a multi-dimensional poverty index, which was worked on uh, particularly with researchers from Oxford, uh, I understand. And that that gave broader insights into what the uh, components of poverty are. So I think it is very important uh, to recognize in the whatever global development agenda comes out of all the chatter now, uh, about post-2015. That poverty is recognised as having these these many dimensions to to be addressed, and that, you know, even if we got everybody living above the $1.25 a day figure, that's not going to mean that there isn't uh, isn't poverty. I mean, th- there'll be there'll still be hardship, and there'll still be a lot of other things uh, going wrong if a lot of these issues of uh, unequal status, uh, access to education, basic health services, uh, et cetera, are dealt with.
1: Mm-hmm. Question in the back. Hi. Um, I was
0: curious your thoughts on moving from the fairly straightforward and one-dimensional model of the Millennium Development Goals to the more complex, uh, convoluted, perhaps even conflicting, uh, sustainable development goals. And thinking, for example, of uh, China. You mentioned their enormous reductions in uh, income poverty. On the other hand, as we've seen in the news recently, the sort of staggering environmental burden mm-hmm. uh, in terms of air pollution and that sort of thing, and um, the sort of the fact that those two things are, are happening at the same time, and largely for the same reasons.
2: Yeah, so I, th- I think we're, you know, we're really f- ready for the next big leap in what development progress means. The human development approach, which was developed by Amartya Sen, and Mahbub ul Haq was a huge advance because it said development is about more than just GDP per capita growing, which was the standard measure. So they brought in uh, the broader dimensions and the Human Development Index, which was put up as an alternative to GDP as a measure of progress, uh, had uh, GDP per capita plus uh, a health indicator, was life, life expectancy, mm-hmm. and plus an education uh, indicator around, around mm-hmm. literacy. Uh, But, you know, China obviously has done very well on all of those, but then look at the environment. Mm. You know, I've been privileged to go to China many times in my life. I look out the hotel window many days of the week, I I can't see anything and people are breathing very bad air. Now this is recognized in China, by the way, which has elevated its uh, environmental Mm. agency to a full ministry and is is very actively engaged in trying to improve uh, the quality of the environment now. But the the next big leap then needs to be to see sustainable human development uh, and bring in this environmental factor and weighting as well. Because are we truly sustainably developing if if we've moved on these other dimensions, but then we undercut it uh, with the the quality of the air, the the, the toxins, the the reduction in biodiversity, etc. Uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, uh, sustainable development goals, uh, MDGs. You see, partly my lecture today was talking about health and development people needing to to speak together. Development and environment people desperately need to speak together. And at the moment at the UN, you almost have a Mm two-track debate going with a post-2015 debate, which is like what comes after the MDG target dates. This is the development people and the environment people are focusing on the sustainable Mm -hmm. development goals, Mm -hmm. which they tend to be thinking of as environmental goals. We have to bring this together. I've given a lot of lectures and speeches on this over the course of the past year leading up to Rio plus 20 and then post Rio plus 20. We need integrated decision making. Uh, We need to aim for what I call triple win policies, where simultaneously you're advancing people's economic circumstances, their social conditions, and the quality of the environment in which they live. If you neglect any one of these, it's misery. So, we have to have more integrated ways of addressing
1: these issues. Can you put together one measure that will uh, be comprehensive?
2: Well, I have floated in my speeches the idea of having a, uh, an environmental sustainability adjusted human development index, which sounds like a mouthful. <laughs> but but uh, I mean, just as the human development index went beyond G, uh, mm-hmm. GDP per capita, uh, now that we have to go beyond the human development index to bring in uh, are waiting for environmental sustainability and, and that could be done, you could pick, just as we pick what we're going to wait in health and education in an index, we could mm-hmm. pick mm-hmm. Uh, indicators for sustainability, it, it might be an indicator on water, it might be an, an indicator on forest cover, it might be an indicator on, on biodiversity, things that are, that are measurable. But uh, I do feel very passionately about this, because we see our world careering towards planetary boundaries, most clearly demonstrated in the case of of climate. Mm -hmm. And if we don't sort of rein this in, uh, then a world living beyond its planetary boundaries is a a world in in crisis. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Other questions? From online, do we have uh, more?
0: Uh, yes, and we've talked about some of this, but um, can you talk a little bit more about some of the obstacles in the area of decreasing maternal mortality? Mm. I'm paraphrasing this question a little bit because we have addressed yeah. it a bit. Um, just a, a little more information about yeah. what what has caused that.
2: Yeah. Well, it, to, to paint a, a, a broad canvas, uh, for a start, If girls aren't able to complete their education, and ideally go on their primary education, ideally go on to secondary, in a number of countries uh, they will be destined for quite an early marriage, Mm -hmm. and an early marriage and childbearing that's too early, really, for the body to be able to to cope well. will make for bad maternal mortality uh, figures. So so that's the first thing. Uh, Come back to education of girls, empowerment of girls to make choices about uh, their lives, the the age of marriage, the age of the the first baby. I think that's that's critically important. Secondly, uh, a part of the Millennium Development Goal 5 on maternal health, which isn't talked about as much as the mortality rate, is access to universal reproductive health, universal reproductive health access. Um, that's a, a kind of negotiated UN wording. It doesn't really say what it should, which is universal access to sexual and reproductive health services, which many women do not have. Mm-hmm. And many countries I go to, uh, there, are, there is uh, survey information on how many women don't have that access. Mm-hmm. And quite commonly, it's at least a third of women who would like to have access to information about how to control their sexual and reproductive health, but they can't get it. So that, that's, that's another thing. Now, uh, thirdly, uh, for women in remote locations, the services often just aren't there. Uh, the uh, access to uh, a midwife, mm-hmm. a skilled birth attendant, isn't there. Uh, getting to where that service is may be near impossible because of the lack of transportation. So I'm talking about a whole lot of things here that aren't directly health sector r- related. I yep. mean, that to actually get to the health service that would help you, you have to deal with inequalities, Early marriage, lack of transport, gender empowerment, and so on. It, it, it's it's not a sort of one swing of the wheel to get mm. better results here. It has to be seen it as a. It
1: becomes politics as well. It's politics lessons. as
2: well, the, mm-hmm. r- the role of women, the place mm-hmm. of women. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. In this country as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
2: Well, I, I did notice it was prominent in a certain election campaign. <laughs>
1: so. Another question from the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, considering the um, nowadays, there are um, a number of countries on epidemiological transition, meaning that they have managed to improve somehow the <coughs> problem of the infectious diseases, and um, and then others' problem are taking over. Are you considering adding other? diseases to your, in your agenda that could be addressed through the United Nations? Well, the, the
2: exciting development in health at the UN is the attention now being given to the non-communicable diseases, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I think, again, had tended to be a bit dismissed as a problem of rich countries. Mm-hmm. Not so. Uh, non communicable diseases are extracting a very heavy toll of life and uh, and on disability in developing countries now and unless arrested will be an extraordinary burden not only on human beings and their families but on the state budgets for example diabetes you know reaching epidemic proportions cardiovascular uh, disease the preventable uh, cancers uh, the respiratory diseases so These are now getting a lot of recognition. Uh, There was a high-level meeting at the General Assembly in 2011, which uh, world leaders attended. Quite a wide range of ministers are now concerted action around the NCDs and how to tackle the drivers of them. Tobacco. (laughs) Big tobacco has to be fought to make an impact on this. Alcohol. Uh, Nutrition and diet. uh, physical exercise—the importance of this—and again, you know, this requires uh, action that goes well beyond the health sector. It requires governments, ministers of finance, it requires the school as a platform for mm-hmm. physical education. Mm-hmm. It's, it's got many dimensions. But I think, uh, you know, when we come to look at what will post-2015 look like uh, with a health goal and agenda, uh, these issues are going to have to to come very much to the fore. Yeah.
1: It sounds difficult for the UN to deal with some of these things. You have major corporations involved in pushing, for example, tobacco. Mm-hmm. And so how, how do you do handle the political difficulties of dealing with uh, tobacco and alcohol companies, or food companies that are selling sugar?
2: Well, I think tobacco has become a pariah industry. Yeah. And yeah. there's been a lot of uh, action in the US, uh, along with other countries, on yeah. you know, regulation of tobacco. And I, I cut my teeth as a young health yeah. minister. And, 1990 with the New Zealand Smoke-Free Environments mm-hmm. Act, which banned the advertising and sponsorship mm-hmm. uh, of tobacco and uh, legislated for, for smoke-free zones. And so some of
1: the other countries now are feeling the pressure of the companies.
2: Well, that's right. And, and we were really fought by big tobacco, yeah. because they knew that if countries got, even a little country like New Zealand got traction mm-hmm. on this, it would open the precedents for yeah. others. Yeah. Uh, before I introduced my legislation, I went to Canada, mm-hmm. which had been one of the first. Canada and Norway, were, but, but my legislation was better than theirs because we learned from what they'd left <laughs> out. So, But but what then happened was a lot of countries started then to do what we had done, improve on it, and really ever since that 1990 legislation, uh, we've seen uh, tobacco regulation uh the bans on advertising sponsorship, come ahead in leaps and bounds, particularly in developed countries. But that experience sharing needs to go worldwide because Mm -hmm. tobacco, of course, uh, when it had a a dropping market in the West, it focuses elsewhere. So other countries are now the target of all the sophisticated techniques which are used Mm -hmm. uh, to sell tobacco.
1: You have to have the cooperation of countries like China deciding to go to take their money, the revenue, or to... Mm -hmm. uh, push off the companies?
2: Well, you actually do both. You take the revenue through high taxation, which diminishes the demand for the goods. So mm-hmm. it's a sort of double win, really. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but the ideal is, is to collect no money from tobacco taxes because nobody smokes. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. the ideal. <laughs> that <would be> nice.
1: <laughs> Question here. I was wondering if the UNDP expressly and directly um, engages the private sector to achieve its objectives mm-hmm. and agenda, or is it simply done through the policies uh, or influencing policies of the constituent con- countries. Uh,
2: we have we have uh, uh, for some years now been interacting with the private sector uh, through the promoting what we call inclusive business models, uh, which is trying to take companies beyond a traditional corporate social responsibility approach. Uh, which can lead to a few dribs and drabs of money for a clinic here or a school there or something that looks nice in the annual report, uh, to an approach which says, uh, you know, in your business model, you've got to buy things. Uh, You've got to have staff. Now, you could in your business model design it so that you uh, had a developmental impact in the communities you're operating in that goes beyond the sheer investment that you're making. In other words, how do smallholders, small businesses get into your value chains? Uh, what about the training uh, and opportunities you're providing for local people? So it's, it's a value chain approach that we've been adopting. And uh, I mean, just at, at random, one of the approaches has been around sustainable uh, platforms for commodities. Uh, so working with the, the big buyers and the small farmers in Ghana on cocoa. Uh, or in Costa Rica on pineapple, or now in Ethiopia on coffee, uh, etc. So you, you, you take a commodity and say, well, how could this get higher value, which would help the small holder, and probably help the brand as, as, as well, and uh, build on the sustainability aspect to that.
1: Mm-hmm. And another one from um, online. Oh, here we have a question here. Yeah, sorry.
0: Um, I'm curious. How do you think that the shaky financial climate in a lot of countries um, may affect the achievement of these goals? Are they making kind of trade-off decisions that are really impacting, you know, kind of where we're getting in 2015 and where we'll go from then on?
2: Yes, the financial crisis has certainly been a setback uh, in from a number of, 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 of aspects. Firstly where developing countries had migrant workers and countries very badly affected by the crisis, for example, African workers in Europe, well, the remittances didn't come home because, you know, last on, first off is generally the story of the the migrant worker, uh, legal or illegal. So that hurt. Uh, Secondly, the demand of the advanced economies uh, for goods from developing countries fell off. I mean, this is impacting on China's growth rate as we speak and on the growth rate uh, of of others. I remember in late 2009, I had a a meeting with the president of Mozambique on the margins of an international conference, and I said to him, how's the recession impacting on your country? Mozambique having one of the lowest GDP per capita figures in the world. He said, well, it's like this. He said, "Uh, a lot of our people work in South Africa, and they've lost their jobs. So the remittances aren't coming home. He said, our big export is aluminium, and the demand has dropped in half, and the price has dropped in half. <laughs> Ergo, unhappiness. Yeah. So it, it it has hurt, and of course it has hurt development assistance. Last year, for the first time, uh, overseas development assistance, uh, for the first time in many years, it it dropped down, and uh, I mean we see this reflected in our own budget that we're getting quite late. Uh, and unpredictable now cuts in our funding. But hey, that's small compared with what uh, is happening uh, to developing countries' assistance from, from the north.
1: Mm-hmm. OK, we'll take one more from uh, online.
2: This
0: is a question from a viewer in Thailand. How has the UNDP been engaged, or how does UNDP plan to address and support universal health coverage as part of a sustainable and inclusive development effort?
2: Mm. Well, firstly, I'm totally for universal health cover. (laughs) Um, You know, I come from a country which introduced universal health cover in the 1938 Social Security Act. Mm -hmm. And it's been a a critical part of uh, New Zealand's social fabric.
1: And we're getting there. And you're getting there. (laughs) (laughs) You're getting there. (laughs) 1938
2: to to, to 2009, was it? But anyway, (laughs) some of us were a bit ahead. Um, (laughs) So uh, what I would say, it is extremely important, but not in itself sufficient guarantee good health. Mm-hmm. I mean all of us want health care as and when we need it uh, but to guarantee improved health we have to deal with a lot of other things and I've been painting a broad canvas on that mm-hmm, today. Mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. people's state of education, their state of housing, uh, the the knowledge they have uh, around what is actually causing uh, ill health, uh, the broader environment of a clean environment, absence of, of war, etc. And so I think that When we look at the 2015 agenda, we need to have a a goal which is expressed around health and well-being, which could be healthy life expectancy. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you would have a number of targets. And personally, I would support Universal Health Cover being one of them. Uh, There was a General Assembly uh, resolution to that effect passed uh, Mm -hmm. late last year. But I think we also need other health goals and targets, uh, which will specific be measurable, ones. specific ones, mm-hmm. yep, where we uh, measure the uh, well, rate of progress as we have with child mortality and maternal mortality. But also, ideally, tackle some of the drivers of, of bad health, like, uh, like tobacco. Mm-hmm. You know, there's uh, plenty of sets of goals and targets out there that we could learn from and deriving some good ones for the yeah. global agenda.
1: That's a phrase that has mm-hmm. come up a lot more lately, social determinants. Yeah. Terrible phrase. Mm-hmm. As a journalist, I can say that's a rough one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but tell me why that is coming up now. What is that issue about?
2: Well, I think as the world you know, really gets a grip on a lot of the major contagious diseases, which mm-hmm. cause so much misery and ill health, and moves to tackle a rather more complex health agenda with the with the NCDs, non-communicable diseases uh, in particular. Uh, a lot of this takes you back into a broader focus uh, than uh, perhaps in the in the past. And I think it is a, a welcome recognition that uh, attaining a better standard or status of health for all is not going to come uh, just through a medical service. It's going to come from uh, the conditions in which we live. Do we live in poverty? Do we live uh, ignorant? Uh, do we live in housing, which is hopeless? Uh, mm-hmm. Do we have clean water and sanitation?
1: We have to address these broader issues. It sounds like mm-hmm. we're thinking very differently now than we mm-hmm. did in the 90s, say, and up to mm-hmm. 2000, when the mm-hmm. goals were set, that it looks more complex. You have to do more measurement, more numbers, mm-hmm. thinking outside the box more than before. I think the experience of 12 years of the goals
2: uh, suggests we have to look a lot more at what the drivers of the problem are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not just a matter of saying, yes, let's reduce maternal health, let's reduce child health, let's Mm -hmm. reduce poverty. What is actually going to do that? Because just talking about it won't do it. You have to actually have practical policies implemented, which will make a difference to those drivers.
1: So uh, we've been through this one round almost. We're almost finished with 2015. What do we do now? What does UNDP do mm. to make the next round? Is it, is it another 15-year target, or what will we do? Well, there's a, a
2: global discussion going on this as we speak, and it's got a number of, of aspects. Uh, yes, we are, uh, with other agencies in the UN system, uh, leading, facilitating, supporting consultations on what comes next. And those consultations will be held in at least 60 and probably close to 100 uh, developing countries, Mm -hmm. because we think it's extremely important the developing countries should have a (laughs) say and input into what the next agenda is. There's also what we're calling uh, consultations around themes, health, inequality, energy. Mm -hmm. uh, They're being conducted in various capitals. Uh, and there's a global virtual dialogue uh, on the internet because these days you need to crowdsource ideas and, and, and feedback, so, so that's all happening. Mm-hmm. And that that will be brought together with you know sort of the best analysis as to well what is really coming through about the the future we want, which was the the, the phrase of Rio Plus uh, Twenty, the future we want. What is that future, and, and what should we focus on uh, to move towards it? Uh, Alongside this exercise, the Secretary-General has a high-level panel on the post-2015 agenda. Uh, It's co-chaired by the President of Indonesia, President of Liberia, and the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Mm -hmm. uh, and has representation from across the world. Uh, That will report in late May, June. And then the UN General Assembly has appointed a group to also look at what has come out of Rio plus 20, and in particular, sustainable development goals. Now, that's why I say development and environment tracks need to come together. Because Mm -hmm. at the moment, uh, Rio, although Rio produced a very wide outcome document, I mean, it it touched on everything that could impact on Mm -hmm. sustainable development, social, economic, environmental. Still, when people talk about sustainable development goals, they tend to be talking environmental. Mm. Now, we we have to bring the tracks together so that we are talking about how we advance human development and well being within planetary boundaries. How do we bring these two things together?
1: Sounds complicated. Well,
2: it is complicated.
1: (laughs) You you bring this strand and this strand and this strand, and including the strand with the uh, internet, listening to all kinds of voices. Is that really? Happening? How do you bring It, that
2: in? it is. And yeah. we, we get tremendous engagement through mm-hmm. social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in, in fact, this is not the first time it's been used to explicitly source ideas from the global public. Uh,
1: mm-hmm.
2: UNAIDS in the last couple of years has used social media to crowdsource ideas and approaches for its HIV and youth strategy. So mm-hmm. you need to hear from the voices of the people intimately yeah. concerned.
1: So should we expect in two thousand and fifteen that these strands will come together and we'll get one meeting in which we settle on new goals? That that that's the
2: aim in two thousand and fifteen. Now the the question is how to get there because there'll be tremendous amount written and spoken about this. It can be analysed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the question in the end is whether it's thrown back to the UN system to uh, say, okay, having heard everything, what do you propose? Because uh, to get a clear set of measurable goals and targets. uh, It's hard to do that by committee negotiation. Um, So just how that final step's taken is a little bit up in the air at the moment. But from UNDP perspective and my own perspective, uh, it would be good to have another set of measurable goals and targets which are easy to communicate because otherwise development becomes everything again. Mm-hmm. And if you focus on everything, yeah, you, miss, right. you miss everything. Yeah. You, you have to say, these are the things we're going to prioritize. Not saying that other things are not mm-hmm. important and people shouldn't pursue them. Mm-hmm. But as a global community, we need to mobilize action around these mm-hmm. priorities because this will make the greatest shift Right. In human well being.
1: So, again, maybe a limited number of ones that you know you can measure yeah. and go after those. Uh, yeah. The first time around, uh, the goals were quite ambitious. Again, would that be a good idea? Very ambitious, knowing some countries are going to be not on the map practically? See, global goals are too ambitious
2: for some and others yeah. have already reached them. That's uh, on the law of averages, yes. that's, that's the way it's going to be. But if uh, you've already met them, then you should. Uh, Actually, develop your own MDG plus targets, and some okay. countries did that. Some, by the way, also did MDG minus because they said we can never get there, so, so they, they set, set their, their own. own. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Tell us something, something about the winners. Some of the ones that came along really well in this in this last round yeah. that uh, looked like they weren't going to make it, and then.
2: Well, l- let's give the let's give a couple of examples. I'll give African examples. Yeah. Uh, Rwanda and Ghana. Uh, Rwanda. Well, I'm not sure if everyone in this room is old enough to remember the genocide of the mid-90s, yes. but it was shocking, terrible, mm-hmm. horrific. So here you have a, a shattered country, you know, somewhere between 800,000, a million people killed in cold blood in a relatively short period of time. Uh, how do you pick yourself up and start again? Mm-hmm. Well, the truth is Rwanda has. Mm-hmm. And in socioeconomic development terms, undoubtedly it's, it's been a success. It's yeah. been had strong leadership, very focused, uh, the women have been right in there in the decision making in, in big numbers so they 've made huge huge progress uh, ghana uh, Ghana, of course, in my lifetime from was uh, i think the first uh, African country in the British Empire to achieve its independence, but mm-hmm. had a number of rocky years with military rule but yeah. made a made a transition now Ghana. Uh, has done quite well on the MDGs, and specifically on poverty, Hmm. where it targeted its agriculture. Uh, Agriculture is still where most people in many Hmm. developing countries, particularly Africa, Hmm. are living and and working. So if you neglect agriculture, uh, you don't enable people there to lift their living standards. Mm -hmm. And it also contributes to poor nutrition, food insecurity in the country. So Ghana focused on agriculture, and it has done extremely well. Good leadership
1: and um, also issues of corruption in other countries where it doesn't work out so well.
2: Yeah, Yeah. and Ghana's actually done quite well on that measure as well. And uh, and, uh, to say another uh, very positive thing about Ghana, uh, it is a late entrant to the extractive industry uh, boom. Hmm. And so it's had time to look at the mistakes made around it. Uh, you know, Nigeria has, uh, has suffered from the resource curse, mm-hmm. uh, violence, despair, conflict, corruption. Yeah. Um, Ghana has taken a lot of advice and uh, has legislation which uh, uh, enables revenues to be corralled off and very importantly actually legislates for a civil society monitor group to monitor on what's happening to the revenues. Now, you know, I'm not going to say it's going to be perfect, mm-hmm. but the, you know, the, the approach to dealing with this is a, is a sound approach. Mm-hmm.
1: Something we can do about the countries that are, those are success stories, some of them. Uh, what about the ones that are farthest back? Is there anything additional we can do?
2: Right. So the ones that are furthest back, are, almost without exception, countries which are mired in deep internal conflict. Yeah. Afghanistan. Mm. Somalia, uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, mm. still very troubled in its east. You know, think of Mali now. What MDG can it achieve in the current circumstances? So, you know, conflict is a blight on development. You, mm. you just can't make progress if people have no security. Mm-hmm. And this issue of you know, human security. Am, am I safe in my environment? Mm-hmm is blighting development in, of course, parts of Central America, Caribbean, uh, the continent of South America and places. That if you uh, fear for your physical security because you're Neighborhood, your community is run by gangsters and crooks, mm-hmm. and you fear for your life. You don't invest in that community. So that de develops as well. This citizen security is a very, very big development issue in mm-hmm. regions uh, in uh, Central and South America. Okay.
1: So let's uh, take a last round of questions from the audience here or online. We have. Uh... Mm-hmm. Hi.
0: Uh, you were saying uh, the millennium goal for poverty is met, and mostly it's from China, like you were saying. But is it? how do you measure it when you have one figure for countries like China, and then you were saying Mali, sh- and how do you go about it even mm. going forward, even though you it was met like the 50 percent mm. is met, but for other countries it's almost maybe nothing or maybe they're
2: going backward. Mm. Yes, yeah, so it's set as a global goal so that the numbers of people living in extreme poverty under the twenty-five a day line uh, was to be halved by 2015. And in fact, the, the numbers from 1990 were halved by 2010, largely because some 600 million people in China were lifted out of of poverty. But, uh, of course, the goal was never a complete goal, was it? I mean, the the goal is to eradicate extreme poverty. The target was to cut in half. Now, that's great if you're in the half where it's been cut, but not if you're in the other half. So that's why the the sort of rolling on development agenda has to keep focusing on extreme poverty, because still there's that very, very large number of the world's peoples, uh, a billion round terms, shall we say, who live in extreme poverty. And roughly the same number, and generally roughly the same people uh, living uh, with uh, chronic hunger as well. So the job is not done.
1: Question here. To follow up on the the poverty, Mm -hmm.
2: how can you eradicate poverty in
0: societies and countries that operate on a caste system, where something as fundamental as your family name Mm -hmm. determines the opportunities you have in life? Mm
2: -hmm very difficult. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So again, it it speaks to a a broader agenda around rights and empowerment and equality of citizenry, uh, so that people simply can't just be marginalized and excluded because of the caste, the class, the gender, the differentiating factor uh, into into which they were born. Uh, it, it, It is a broader equality agenda that is needed to deal with that.
1: Again, political. Again, very political. Very political. Question over here. Thank you. Uh, You mentioned that development consists of many aspects, the security, economic, social environment. And I wonder how does UNDP set a
2: priority list in dealing with all those? What is the best way of allocating our global resource or social resource? Thank you. Well, we have to prioritise like everyone else yeah. and uh, we're painting a broad canvas today. I mean, one of our jobs also, of course, is as the leading agency in the UN development system, we are the sort of lead advocates and coordinators. So we do advocate across a, the broad range of issues. But then our own uh, working mandate is, is set by our board uh, and our mandate tells us to work in the following areas, uh, crisis prevention and recovery. So uh, that is referring to states in distress because there's war, conflict, Mm -hmm. breakdown in social cohesion, uh, trying to recover from a bad disaster. Haiti being a case in point.
1: How do you intervene in those crises with dollars, with um, aid? What
2: if you take Haiti, uh, which had the earthquake barely two years after a devastating cyclone? Um, yeah, people were in a, a, a pretty fragile position before the earthquake, and so it got much worse after the earthquake. Mm. So what did we do? I think probably the most practical thing we did was uh, encourage the donors to support us with short-term job schemes. Mm. And the short-term job schemes were geared to uh, debris removal and uh, getting basic services going again. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that people were paid for their work meant they could then go and buy something from the little trader down the road. It started the the local economy going again. It had positive aspects, and there were, uh, I think, I wouldn't be exaggerating to say, ex- around a quarter of a million short-term jobs mm-hmm. created, you know, which might be a few days here or there, but enough to get people kind of right. kind of start again. But the debris work has gone on a long, mm-hmm. a long, long time. So, so we so early recovery is actually our specialty, our niche in these situations. The humanitarians come in, they do food, water, shelter, uh, as you see with with Syria or after an earthquake. But we come in with the early recovery toolset. How do you get people back to work? How do you get them up on their feet again and and moving? And then that leads us into a very important mandate, which is disaster prevention, uh, risk reduction. Uh, you know, uh, in Haiti, not only has this terrible earthquake fault which goes along the south; it has one that goes along the north, which wiped out uh, most of a city in the 19th mm-hmm. century, and is poised, you know, to to go again. So we are working very intensely in Haiti on on uh, earthquake uh, risk reduction. Mm-hmm. It's it's a, it's a hard mm-hmm. call. Um, so similarly, with adaptation to bad climate events, Mm -hmm. uh, etc. That that's all. Uh, Poverty reduction generally is obviously a big mandate area for us working alongside governments, good strategies, uh, Mm -hmm. policies. Uh, We work on environment and energy. And increasingly, we have to see these as very integrated challenges. We can't deal with them in in silos. Uh, We have um, governance, broadly speaking, as a huge area. I mean, what underlies? A lack of traction on development is often just poor governance, bad governance. Uh, Systems don't work, institutions don't Mm -hmm. work, there's no accountability, there's not enough integrity and honesty, so that's all our bread and butter work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right across that we work on on gender, uh, uh, which is extremely important. And then uh, we have actually become rather involved um, in health from the starting point of HIV, malaria, and TB. And you might say, why? Well, with the MDG on Mm -hmm. HIV, malaria, TB, uh, that was, I guess, one of the forces behind the formation of the Global Fund, which raised zillions of dollars for HIV, TB, and malaria. Uh, But the Global Fund is a fund, and it has to disperse money. And there have been, on average, around 30 countries where it cannot find a national partner, Mm. it can disperse the money through. That is because it doesn't have confidence in the government systems, or in NGO systems, or in some countries there won't even be NGOs. So then it formed a partnership with UNDP and said, UNDP, you're there, you're operating, because you're everywhere, would you do this for us? And that's taken us right into how do we build capacity for countries to deal with these issues in the future. But it's also given us a platform for understanding how you can leverage from that Mm -hmm. more broadly for primary health care Mm -hmm. and for health
1: system improvement. So maybe one final question.
0: Okay, I do just want folks to know there are a lot of questions online. And you can go on to our site and see some of those. But um, they're coming in in all different order. But this is one from Twitter that came in. Progress against infectious diseases, such as malaria, has been a significant success story of the MDGs. Action will need to be sustained to prevent backsliding and malaria resurgence. How can we prevent the broadening of the post-2015 health agenda, inadvertently undoing the successes we have seen through the MDGs?
2: Well, Well, we certainly can't take the focus off malaria no. because uh, malaria has been such a huge killer uh, particularly of children and uh, i suspect if you look at the interrelationships between the mdgs uh, with the child and infant death rates coming down so sharply the decline of malaria uh, deaths will have been contributing to that a lot, and the, the whole rollout of the bed nets and so on. But bed nets don't last forever, do they? You have to replace bed nets. So this has to be really built into and systematised and prioritised in countries' health uh, health strategies. Uh, but it is critical that the global health agenda now does also make space for the NCDs because the, the cost to poor countries of NCDs uh, not addressed is is going to be uh, just too big a burden to put it to put it mildly. Mm. You know, you're looking at um, uh, in China. I understand uh, figures are used of around 100 million people uh, with a diabetic condition at some mm. level. This is not a small number of people. Mm. Uh, so, you know, uh, yeah. obviously a lot of diabetes can be dealt with through appropriate. diet Diet. and the way we live and so on. But uh, where it comes to more intensive treatment and care uh, on this scale, this is Mm -hmm. extremely expensive.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. well, that's it. We had really excellent questions from the audience. And the conversation will continue online uh, at uh, www.forumhsph.org. Thank you very much.
0: This has been a production of The Forum at Harvard School of Public Health. You can find the complete video of this event and post your comments at www.forumhsph.org. Thank you for sharing The Forum.